Thank you very much to the team on stage. Trust is going really well with everybody. I suppose it is just appropriate at this point in time that I do say congratulations to the Liverpool supporters. <laughs> but this football season's over. We're focusing on cricket now. We're all South Africans, so let's forget football. I don't want to talk about football anymore. We're starting a new series today, and the title of our series is Ready for More. As you know, if you've been part of our community, that for, a, for this year, our title for the year is to be ready. And we say, we're just experiencing God saying to us that we have to position ourselves for new things that He wants to do. And uh, in this series, Ready for More, we're going to talk about the principles of stewardship and what it means to be a steward as the Bible describes it. And our title for today's message is Ready to be Entrusted. And I, I want to lay a foundation for the next six weeks where we're going to talk about stewardship and today really begin a process of explaining what I understand to be how the Bible describes this idea of stewardship. And to do that, I want to go to a very familiar story of one of the great characters of the Scripture, and that's a, a, a man by the name of Joseph. And uh, I think when we look at Joseph's life and some of the principles and the events that happened in his life, it really gives us good insight into how the Bible wants us to live our lives as stewards in the kingdom of God. So what I'd like to do, if you, if you would join me, is to go to Genesis 41, and we're going to just read a little bit of the story of Joseph and just refresh our memory. And there may also be people that's not so familiar with the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. So uh, I want to just touch base on that and then uh, just lift out some principles from there. In Genesis 41, we read from verse 37, and uh, I'm going to read quite a number of verses, uh, 37 to 44, so is that okay? Can you stay with me? And let's read this portion of Scripture together. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you all of, of all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in his second chariot and they proclaimed before him, bow the knee and he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Quite an amazing story of this young man. He was 30 years old at this stage. A 30-year-old young man that is given this much power and authority in a land of the Egyptians. The greatest kingdom that the earth had known up until that point. The most powerful person that had walked the earth up until that point was Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, you will only be second to me in the kingdom of the Egyptians. I will make you my spokesperson. What you say will be done, will be done. And Joseph was paraded through the city and carried through the streets and told by everybody that you, like you would consider the Pharaoh, Pharaoh, so you have to consider this man in authority. What an amazing thought. I think in our day, it would be quite something to have a 30-year-old 
person carry that much weight and authority in a nation? Even so much more in those days. That a young person would be given such stature and power in a nation. Why? Why did this happen to Joseph? Many of us have read the story so many times, you know, from perhaps our childhood days. It's one of the regular stories you read in the Kinner Bible. You know, it's a story we're very familiar with. But let's pause for a moment and just think, why? Why did this happen? <clears throat> I mean, why? Why did this happen? <laughs> why was this young man given so much power and authority? And I think it is because Pharaoh was looking to partner with somebody to have greater power and blessing for his nation. You must remember that Pharaoh was considered to be a god. He was considered to be the incarnate of one of the Egyptian gods that came to rule on earth on behalf of the gods. He was like the mediator between men and the gods. And when the Pharaoh died, he would then go and become a son of one of the gods and would actually become one of the, their gods that they would worship. And whoever his son was would receive power to be now the mediator of uh, the gods between God and the nation and the, the nation of Pharaoh, uh, of the Egyptians. So Pharaoh was revered and worshipped in this way. So Pharaoh had this idea that he was a person that could assimilate gods and manage gods. And so when he encountered this young man, Joseph, and he experienced the power of this young man that was so, it stood out, it was so obvious that there was something different about this man. In, in, the, in verse 38, he said, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? He was saying there's a godliness there's something of a God in this young man. And if I can take the godliness, the, the divinity that is expressed through this young man and harness that godliness and make that godliness part of the, the gods we worship and the resources that comes from the gods to us as a nation, if I can incorporate that, then I can bring greater blessing upon this nation. You see, because Pharaoh understood he was a God. So he had that kind of power that he could manage gods and the blessings that comes from gods. So he was looking at this young person and saying, I want to bring him closer. I want to give him this level of authority. Not because it was so much just about Joseph, but it was actually who Joseph was aligned with that he was interested in getting to. You see, Joseph had a partner. Joseph had somebody that worked with him. Joseph had somebody that gave him insight, gave him some authority, that gave him blessings. And it was this partner that Pharaoh was interested in getting connected to. So he said, bring me Joseph. That's why a young person in such an extraordinary way would become a person of such great power. It's because of who his partner was who he was aligned with. And this stands out for us all the more if you realize not just that Joseph was this young person, but where did he come from? Not only was he a young person stepping into such great power and authority, he wasn't even an Egyptian. He was a foreigner. I mean, wow. 
What did Pharaoh see that made him take such a big step to make a foreigner, a person that, that everybody would look down upon or be suspicious about at least, or think, you know, these are the people that can be part of our society, but we're not going to give them you know, the best of our society. We're not going to share our, our wealth and our power and our authority with this. These are the people we conquer. These are not the people we give power to. But here, Pharaoh does this. He gives this young foreigner power. And even more ridiculous is this man has just come from prison. He's not got a great CV. He's not connected. He's not a guy that represents the cream of the crop. This guy comes from prison. Now imagine if you were serving in Pharaoh's courts you were a counselor to Pharaoh, an advisor to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh calls you and says, listen, I've got an idea. There's a young guy. I've seen something in him, and, and, and I want to make him my vizier. That was the term they used in those days. I don't know how many of you have seen Aladdin. I know Aladdin started this week. And remember the old Aladdin? That's the reference point I have in my head. Remember Jafar in Aladdin was the vizier to the sultan. That's, that's the position that he was talking about, the, the person that would have the authority, the power to execute the king's plans and, and to manage the king's wealth and the nation. Most of the ground in the nation would belong to the king, and this person would be the one that had to maximize the king's resources to make wealth for the king. So he says, I, I've got this great idea. I, I've got, I want to put a new vizier in place. There's this young guy. He's a Hebrew. Now, if you're the king's advisor, you already skip a beat and you go, and he's just been released from prison. You go, excuse me, what are you saying? You want to take a young Hebrew guy that was a slave and been put in prison, and you want to make him your highest authority in the land? Can we vote on this? And it's at that point where Pharaoh pulls out his God card. I am God's representative. So what I say will happen. Okay, Pharaoh, it's a great idea. It's a fantastic idea. Why didn't we think of this? Behind the scenes, everybody was going, the man's losing his mind. How can he do this? But Pharaoh saw a divinity, a divine connection that Joseph had. Let's remind us of the story of what happened to, Pharaoh, to Joseph. Why did he end up in prison? In Genesis 39, we're sort of working our way backwards through the story of Joseph. In Genesis 39, verse 1 to 6, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and all that he owned he put in his charge. It came about that from that time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptian house on account of Joseph. Thus, thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him where he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So this slave gets sold to Potiphar, important man in Egypt. And as he gets this young man to work in his house, by then 
he was just in his teenage years. This young man starts working in his house, and suddenly he starts noticing that things are going better. Joseph had some skill and ability to manage things. He had a managerial gift. But more than that, there was a, there, he was lucky, if I can call it like that, perhaps in Potiphar's ideas first. Everything this boy touched turned to gold. Everything he did was successful. But as he cons- watched him over time, he started realizing this isn't just luck. This boy is blessed. This boy has got some, something on his side. And more and more, he just realized, if I want to flourish, if I want my household to do well, my lands, my every, then I just give it to him. He's going to just turn it all to gold. And more and more, he would entrust to this young man. And he would just give him the authority. And, and eventually, Joseph became this person in, in Potiphar's house where he decided what everything would do. He was in charge of everybody in the household. He would allocate the resources and decide when the crops were to be planted and and when it would be harvested, and he would decide how much would be planted, and and he would decide who would work, and and he would do all of this. And Potiphar was just so happy because God's favor was on Joseph. You see, he partnered through Joseph with God, actually, and he was enjoying this blessing, this favor that was on this young man named Joseph. Joseph. The last sentence there, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. That's a, normally a great sentence to put to somebody's life. I don't think anybody's ever said that about me, but, you know, about Joseph. Well, Natasha has, okay. I'll, I'll, you know, she obviously sees something. But, I mean, isn't it, wouldn't it be fantastic if somebody describes you and says, now you were handsome in form and appearance. What a lovely thing. He was on the cover of Men's Health magazine. He was on the cover of the GQ. He was like a, you know, he was a, everybody noticed him. So it's a great sentence. But actually the Scripture puts it in here for us as a little bit of an ominous warning. Because he was about to experience what so often happens with attractive people when they encounter power. And Joseph was just doing his duties, working in the house of Potiphar. Now, Potiphar was away a lot, it seems. And he was comfortable to be away because he had somebody he could trust everything to. So he left things to Joseph, and he would go and travel and do his official business, but also probably go and extend his his own personal business. And he was flourishing. Life was good. But as Joseph was working in the house, Potiphar's wife had an absent husband. And she started noticing this young man. She started noticing how attractive he was and probably also noticed the blessing on his life, the authority he had, the power that came with him. And, uh, you know, she started making sure that she would get closer to him. And I'm I'm not going to dwell down that road too far. But she started making advances to this young man. And she started saying to him, come, you know, Come and spend time with me. Quality time. Come and spend some quality time with me. And he would resist. He would resist all the time. Now this is a remarkable thing that a young man, a slave, would have the understanding that he has at this point. And he keeps on resisting her. In, in, verse, in, in Genesis 39, from verse 7, it tells this story. 
And um, in, uh, sorry, I'm just going to try to find it here quickly. Oh, here it is. When she kept on making advances to Joseph, in verse 8, he said the following, Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do, he says to her. She didn't even have the authority he had in the household. He has held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. This young man has the inner strength and ability to say no. It would have been a great, it could have been so easy for him to think, wow, if I really want to secure my future, if I really want to get settled in this household, if I, if I really want to make sure that, that, they, you know, that I'm going to be around for a long time, then this is a great way, you know, just get the master's wife, just keep her happy, and then, you know, he won't, if he doesn't know, then I'm good. What a tempting thing for a young slave person, a lady of such power that makes advances to him. But somehow he had the understanding it even is difficult if you think about it that often in those days women were treated as property. So she was the property of fair. He could have justified it and said, well, just like his trust, Potiphar's trusted me with everything in his household, so she's part of the." but he doesn't. He has such a high view of marriage that is so uncommon for the day. That is not how people viewed marriage in those days and in those contexts. He has such a high view of it that he says no. There's a limit. My master entrusted me with much, but not with you. There's a line that I will not cross. There's a place where I will stay on my side of the line. I am only entrusted by my master, but not, I don't own this. This is not mine. I cannot carry on here the way I want to. This is not about what's the best for me. I have to do what is the best for my master. And on top of that, he says, if I do this, this will be a sin against God. What an amazing thing. This teenage boy has this. But obviously that, as you know the story, was not comfortable for Potiphar's wife. She didn't like that. So one day as she tried to make advances at him and he ran away from her, she grabbed his cloak, remember, and then she told the other servants he was trying to, you know, do something. And, the, and she created this story. And so when Potiphar came back from his travels, she went and told him, this is what your servant did. What have you done by making this Hebrew come into our household and given him such authority and power? I knew this was going to happen. I knew these people cannot be trusted. Look at what he did. Now, if she, what she said was true, then it would be the right thing for Potiphar to do is to get this young man thrown in prison. Because then this young man broke every rule that would, be the, the trust, that would support their trust relationship. Because Potiphar gave him a lot of trust. But if he did what Potiphar's wife said, then he broke that trust then he cannot be trusted anymore. Then he cannot be, he has no purpose in that household, and he's actually insulted Potiphar. So it would be the right thing to throw him in prison, even possibly do worse than that. It would be such a terrible thing that he did. And that's why Potiphar responded, and he had him thrown in prison. The only thing, problem was that this never really happened. 
This was a lie. So imagine here is Joseph in prison, falsely accused, actually because he did the right thing. He did what exactly that if his master knew what he actually did, he would have awarded him a great prize or something for it. He would have even trusted him even more. What do you think if Potiphar heard the real story? Would he have said, who do I trust in this story, my wife or this young slave? He would have trusted him even more. He would have said, I can really trust you. Because the Scripture says that he trusted him very much, but he didn't trust him with his food. That means he wasn't the taster. That was the highest trust that you could give to a person as a ruling authority person in that day is the people that would taste your food to make sure you're not poisoned or something's not wrong. After this, he would have trusted him even with that. He said, there's nothing I cannot trust this young man with. But instead, Joseph has to go to prison, get thrown in a dungeon, in a dark hole, and he sits there and he thinks, I don't deserve this. How did I end up here? I did the right thing. How did I end up in an Egyptian prison? Not only is he a prisoner, but he's a prisoner in a foreign land, which normally meant there was no rights. You had no protection because you were a foreigner. Now remember, how did Joseph get to Egypt? Can you remember that part of the story? Let's read that together quickly. In Genesis 37, we're still working backwards. Genesis 37, verse 4. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he, t- he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we, are, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brothers said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Now he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had still another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. He related to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream you have had? Shall I find... Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept him, kept the saying in mind. So the reason this young man is in a prison in Egypt is because his brothers sold him as a slave. Talk about some rejection issues. Talk about feeling hard done by. Talk about injustice. Because there was something that was growing in him of a sense of God's purpose that was being revealed to him. And he was a young, stupid young man that probably got way too excited about this understanding, this revelation that he was getting, about this dream that he was being shared with him. That, and, and you can just imagine, here's the youngest, one of the youngest in the family, the smallest, the, the least in the family. And he's got all these big older brothers and his father and his mother. He's looking up at life. Feeling a little bit lost in all of this. And then you get this dream that tells you, you're actually going to be the bigger one of everybody. And in his excitement and his youthful exuberance, you know, he went and told them about this. And they go, what? You really think that we're all going to bow down to you, you little runt? You, you know good, man. You just carry our drinks. That's all you must do. And he's like, wow. And he does it again. 
And, and the problem was his father was already favoring, so there was already jealousy in his brother's hearts. And because of this, they sell him into slavery. Tell their father a story that he was killed by a lion, and he gets taken by slave owners and then sold into Egypt. What a story. What an experience this young person was going with. But despite all of these challenges, all of this injustice that was happening to him, he had a partner that was working with him. You see, when he had that dream, God declared, God prophesied, I have a plan with your life. You, you're going to do something. I have a purpose for you. And God started working towards his purpose and his plan that involved Joseph. The plan wasn't around Joseph. God had a plan. And his plan had to do with more than Joseph. It had to do with saving his people. God knew what was coming, and He was positioning His people to ultimately become the people that would own, possess the land. God was playing the long game here. And because He was positioning things, He needed a partner, somebody that would help Him fulfill His purpose. And in His sovereignty and in His grace, He chose this young man, Joseph. And He made it known to Joseph, He said, you're going to rule. You're going to play a key role in my plan as it unfolds. Joseph didn't quite know what to do with it, but God was busy. So if we go back now to the story where we started reading it, and we see this young man is now the vizier, the ruler in Egypt. Not because of him, but because of his partner, who was walking with him, and that was God. God was his partner. Do you know that when God created you, he made you for a purpose? Your purpose is not about you, it's about His purpose. He is inviting you into a partnership agreement with Him. He's saying, I want to partner with you. I have things that I need to get done on this earth. I have things that I want to do, and I need you to become part of my plan. I want to partner with you, like God did with Joseph. And it was this partner that was causing all of this blessing and this favor in the life of Joseph to be manifest, which people recognized and said, if we get Joseph to work for us, then we also get God's favor and blessing to be with us. So the Pharaoh thought he had a very clever idea. He said, I'm going to make God work for me and use God for my blessing. It was only 400 years later that another Pharaoh discovered that you that to get God's blessing, you don't get Him to work for you. You have to work for Him. God's blessing is given not to those that use God, but to those that allow God to use them. And this is what 400 years later when God came through Moses and said, let my people go. That's what that Pharaoh learned. But this Pharaoh thought he was very clever. He's going to make God work for him through his partnership, through God's partnership with Joseph. So God is looking for partners like He did with Joseph. But you know, whenever you establish a partnership, it requires an agreement. Like if you think in business terms, partnership in business is such an important way to actually move ahead if you've got something that you want to do. Perhaps you've got a great idea, uh, something that you invented or designed or an app that you came up with, but you do not have the financial ability 
to get that thing to market, to do the development. Then you look for a partner. You look for somebody like a venture capitalist or somebody that can partner with you and give their resources to you so that you can bring your intellectual capital and they bring their financial capital. And if the two of you partner together, you can step into places where you cannot go on your own. And so it is with God. He says, I want to establish a partnership agreement with you. That partnership agreement in the Scripture is entitled stewardship. Every one of us, God is saying to us, I want to form a partnership with you. The way this partnership just works is stewardship. Stewardship is God owns, I manage. Everything belongs to the Lord. Everything is His. I get to care, take care of what belongs to Him. I get to manage His plans, His purposes, His resources, His wealth. I get to manage that, but it belongs to Him. And this partnership agreement works really well as long as we understand. God owns, I manage. And that's what Joseph understood. When he was in Potiphar's house, he kept remembering, Potiphar owns, I manage. I'm not the owner. When he started being accused of acting like he was the owner, he got into trouble. He didn't, wasn't useful to Potiphar anymore. And so it is with us. When we remember that God owns and we manage, we become very useful to God. But the moment we think, I own and God must manage what I own, then we're no longer useful in this partnership agreement that we have with God. Then we lose our usefulness. And this is a quite, a, I don't know about you, but just let's pause for a moment. This is quite a challenging thought. God owns. Can you literally look at yourself and say, I own nothing? I own nothing. Now you may say, that's not too difficult for me. I don't have a house. I don't have a car. I don't even have two pairs of shoes. But can I tell you, you still own a lot. You own yourself, your thoughts, your intelligence, your abilities. You can still own all of those things. But here we're literally saying, nothing belongs to me. Let me not talk about you. Let me talk about me. My intelligence doesn't belong to me. My abilities, my strengths doesn't belong to me. My gifts doesn't belong to me. My resources, my money, my property, my family, nothing. Can you say nothing with me? Do you know what nothing means? No thing. Can we say no thing? No thing belongs to me. That's quite a thought, isn't it? That, that's a scary thought for me because if, I, if that's really true, no thing belongs to me, then what's my place? What's my purpose? What's my reason? At least, you know, something I must be able to bring, something that I have must be useful. But in stewardship, God says, nothing belongs to you. Everything belongs to me. Your usefulness, my usefulness in this partnership agreement is everything belongs to Him, but He entrusts it to me. And He says, I want you to manage it. But you must manage it like you don't own it. 
that it belongs to Him. And this is what Joseph had. This is the ability Joseph had throughout his life. He had these amazing gifts and talents and, and, and things that happened in his life. The negative things were amazing that happened to him. I mean, they're phenomenal. They, they, they're extraordinary what happened to him, all the bad things. But even that he didn't take ownership of. And I'll show you why just now I say that. And all the good things he had, the blessings, the, the, the gifts he had, the favor of God on his life, he didn't take ownership of that either. He said it belongs to the Lord. Every time he was advantaged, he said, that's for God's purpose. Every time he was disadvantaged, he had to learn that even that was for God's purpose. And he learned to live this life of a steward. In Genesis 49, verse 23, it gives us a description of Joseph's life. There's a prophetic summary of Joseph's life. Verse 23 to 25 of Genesis 49. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father, father's God who helps you because of the Almighty who blesses you. It says this young man, life threw everything at him. So unfair, but he kept standing. And he kept standing, not in his strength, but in the understanding that my life belongs to God. My life belongs to God. My joy is to serve His purposes. And you know the story that what happened eventually is that prophetic word came to pass. There was famine in the land. And eventually his family came and they went and then he recognized his family. And this became his great opportunity to pay them back for all they did to him. For all the injustice that they allowed to happen in his life. To get back at them, to get even with them. But in Genesis 50 verse 20, we read the following. Just listen to this. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, God had a plan. Many lives needed to be saved. In that plan, He was establishing His people, as I said earlier. And then he said, I needed a partner that would come and make my plan possible. And then Joseph came on the scene and much harm was done to him. But because at some point it clicked for him, possibly during those years in prison, it clicked for him. This is not about me. This is about God. This is not about what's fair and just to me. This is what God wants. And he switched over in his mind. And so when he stood before his brothers and perhaps he felt all of those pain, the, the, seeing his family, everything that he missed out on, all the injustice, he said, what you intended for harm, I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to make my decisions according to what you intended. I'm going to make my decisions according to what God intended. And God intended to accomplish what is now being done. You see, the only way you can make that shift is if you understand the spirit of a steward that says, my life doesn't belong to me, it belongs to God. So when the injustice was done for me, I'm not overly concerned with what the people intended. I'm more concerned with what God intended. The scripture says, Romans 8:28, God works all things together for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, that are focused on God's purpose. 
You see, when you partner with God in this partnership and you say, Lord, I give you my life so that you can do with it what you want, then He starts saying, I will work everything for your good. But my focus is on Him and what He desires and what He wants. In Matthew 25, Jesus reaffirms for us this principle of stewardship, and I, I want to end, so I'm not going to read the whole Scripture, but you know the story. Where Jesus told the parable of the rich man that had lots of land and everything that he had, and he needed to go on a journey, he needed to go elsewhere, so he apportioned to some of his servants. He said, I'm going to trust you with five talents, I'm going to give two to you, and I'm going to give one to you according to their ability, he said. He was a fair master. He didn't expect of them to all perform at the same level, but he said according to their ability, he trusted them with something. He entrusted something to them. And he was looking for a return when he comes back. He says, I'm trusting this to you, but what I'm expecting is I want more when I come back. So he goes away. He comes back. You know the story. He, start, he sits down with his ledger, and he's now writing, and he's saying, okay, so what have you done? The guy with the five brings back ten. He says, look, and he says, well done. You took what I gave you. You took some risk with it, but you have managed my wealth well. The guy with the two, same, came back, brought back two more. He said, well done. Then the guy with the one comes and he says, listen, I know you're a scary boss. You know, I know you, you won a lot, but I, I was a little bit afraid. I didn't want to take the risk. I didn't want to risk my life. So I just kept it and hid it. But here's your one back. How does the master respond? You wicked and lazy servant. You see, because in that moment, the guy with the one talent said, my life is more important to me than fulfilling my job before the master. I don't want to take a risk with my life. I'm going to keep my life secure and safe. I'm going to focus on me. And if I'm okay, that's all that matters. I'm not going to risk. I'm not going to give away. I'm not going to take steps that puts me in any danger. Therefore, he kept. And the master says, you're wicked and lazy servant. God still today wants to partner with his people. He gives each of us talents, abilities, resources, and he says, yeah, it's yours. Now, you can decide. Do you take it, take ownership of it, and try and maximize what you've got and build a life for yourself? And then you basically say, Lord, will you bless me? Will you help me grow my talents? Will you help me grow my abilities? Because I need to find my place in this world. I need an identity. I need to feel like I belong. I need to have a sense of contribution. I want to help make the world a better place, Lord. I want to be a good person. So won't you help me with what you've given me and bless me with this? You see, and when you do that, then you own and God stewards. And then what you're basically doing is you're reducing God to your resources. You're saying, big God, limited resources. Or you have another option where you say, Lord, thank you for everything you've given me. I give it back to you. Everything I have belongs to you. And then God responds and He says, because you've given everything you have to me, I make available to you everything that I have. And then you don't live this, you start living this. You now begin to have access to God's resources.
And that trust relationship that grows between you and Him, and He more and more brings you into the practicals of releasing to you that which He wants. But it only works because God owns, I manage. Let's think about this practically as I come to an end. Your family. God owns, you manage. What does that look like? As a parent, it's not what I think is good for my family, but it is, Lord, what is your plan for my family? What are you asking of us? What is your plan for the education of my children? What are you saying to them? What are you saying to us? If you own a business, your business is more than just God's way of providing for you. It can be a vehicle for God's purposes to be established. But if you own it and you ask Him to manage it for you, it'll only be limited to what you can do. And actually God doesn't step into those business agreements. He's God. And like somebody said, the problem with God is that He thinks He's God. So whenever He comes into our space, He says, here I am, I'm in charge. No, no, Lord, you don't understand. I've got this. No, no. You don't understand. I'm in charge. And when we do that, and this is the invitation of the Lord for us today and in this time. In our nation, He's looking for people to partner with. He's looking to upset the apple cart. He's looking to do things that, that would be tough, that years from now people will say, we don't understand how that happened. And the only way it happened is because people partnered with God. People wanted their stories of your life where people will go, we, it makes no sense how that happened. How did that person find themselves in that place, doing that with their life? It is impossible. It makes no sense. Because, not about you, but about who you partnered with. But do you have the right partnership agreement? So over the next weeks, we're going to talk about how do we steward our money, our time, our energy, our relationships the things that we find pleasure in. How do we manage those things so that we keep this arrangement correct so that God's purposes can happen in our time? I'd like you to stand with me. It is wonderful for the Christian, and when we had communion this morning, I was reminded of this again, that everything God has belongs to me, or I have access to everything that he has. But it is because everything I own has been given to Him. It's 100%, 100% agreement. That's how God's partnership works. That's what stewardship is about. Are you and I, are we prepared to say, Lord, I want to manage, but I transfer ownership to you. It belongs to you. Let's just pray and Lord, we put our hearts before you today. Help us, Lord, to make this switch. To put the right things in the right places. Help us to take our role as the caretakers of your kingdom very seriously. To be prepared to give our lives for it, Lord. But help us, Lord, to not take and steal from you what belongs to you. 
by making it ours. Like Joseph knew that Potiphar's wife, he had no access to her. Let us know, Lord, we have no access to what belongs to you other than what you give to us because you entrust us. Lord, we want to be ready to be entrusted. We don't want to be this wicked, lazy servant that for the sake of his life wasn't prepared to give and step out and take risks. We are prepared to risk, Lord, our lives for your purpose. And the biggest risk we will take is to say, it's all yours. Everything I am, everything I have belongs to you. If you can say that to this morning to the Lord, can I ask you just in your own words, just under your own breath, just so that you can hear yourself say, Lord, everything I have is yours. You, be- you own, I steward. Remind me of that. Help me to get that right. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you in this week. And by that I mean, may He bring you more and more into His purposes for your life. So when things go for you, celebrate and thank God. When things go against you, praise God. In everything we praise Him because it's about Him. Sometimes His greatest purposes are worked in us when we go through our greatest adversity. Because it's about Him. And that's our hope. It may be that you're struggling at this point in time and we would love to pray with you. So please come forward as we end the service and let's pray with you and trust God with you. We have baptism on Sundays. We always have baptism at the end of the service. You want to be baptized and that's a proclamation of I belong to the Lord and I want others to know that. Then join our team in the functions area. If you don't know where that is, you just go out that door and people will help you find the way. But the Lord bless you. Go in His grace. Go in His strength. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.